With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Do You Take This Man, a podcast by Men's Vows. I'm your host, Sam Irvin, and this is a show all about dating, relationships, marriage, and family life from the perspective of gay men. If you click the link in this episode's description, you'll find photos of today's guests, Brian and Ty Roy Garland. Not only photos, you'll also see the video from their wedding. It's a Men's Vows article featuring Brian and Ty's wedding back in 2016. And let me tell you, I wish that I had been friends with these guys when they got married because I would have loved to have been invited to this wedding. It looks like so much fun. There was a cruise, the food looks amazing, the dance floor looks spectacular. So it was a fun way to get the backstory of Brian and Ty, but that actually wasn't the focus of today's episode. Instead, I wanted to ask them about their journey into parenthood. I asked the guys about what has changed in their life since they became dads, and their answer honestly completely surprised me. It was not what I was expecting. So in this episode, you'll get to hear about their surrogacy journey, about their relationship with the surrogate, and the things that they are looking forward to in the future. For me, I learned a thing or two. It really gave me some fantastic perspective in my own life thinking about becoming a dad one day. So please enjoy this episode with Brian and Ty. Thank you guys for joining me today. This is cool because you're here with me in person. Some of our interviews are virtual, but I'm really excited to be sitting with you guys. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Do you take this man? Yeah, I love it. Thanks so much for having us. We're, uh, we're super excited to be here and, and uh, to kind of tell our story. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing I want to ask you about, we were just talking about this before we started recording, is you guys have your own podcast that is currently in the works. I was like, this is perfect. We can do a little teaser. You can tell us about it. And it lines up perfectly with the things I want to ask you about today. So tell me about the podcast that you guys are working on. So the podcast is called uh, It Takes a Village, Our Path to Leo. And, uh, you know, really it, it chronicles the, the entire journey um, from Ty and I meeting um, to our initial conversations about wanting to have a family um, and, and kind of our long-term goals and then, and then through the entire process. And, you know, our, our process has not been um, totally straightforward. We've had some hiccups and, and bumps along the road and, um, you know, and then it, uh, it comes all the way through the, the very amazing thing, which is um, the birth of Leo. And um, it's also a bit of a love letter to our surrogate, um, Amber. Um, and we wanted to really encapsulate this entire um, journey and process um, for her and for us and, and for Leo. You just planted um, some seeds for a, a lot of questions that I want to ask you about. Um, but tell me, is the podcast, is it, has it already aired or when can we look forward to listening? Yeah, so we're in the process of recording now. 
Um, we're, I think, on episode five. Okay. And hoping to release it kind of all at once. Um, but like Brian said, it's a it's really a chronicle of the entire journey. And it's kind mm-hmm. of surprising that, you know, when you start this, there's very little information out there. I mean, there's a ton of information, but like, where do you start, right? And there's Do you not, mean uh, when you start becoming parents? Yeah, when you yeah. start the, you know, we want to have a child. Like, mm-hmm. what's that look like? There's a lot of different ways to do it. There's a lot of different pathways. And just kind of synthesizing all that. And, and one of the goals of this is to pass on a little bit of, of what we've learned. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do the, um, to get to be parents mm-hmm. as a gay couple, but, you know, just wanted to pass along the way we did it and hopefully help some other people along the way. Yeah, fantastic. And, and it truly does take a village, which is where the name came from. I mean, there's, there's so many folks and, and, and so many people's wisdom and, and love that went into you know, the ultimate goal, which is, which is having a baby in your arms. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we hope to help some other folks, uh, who are along that journey. Well, maybe uh, this, hopefully this episode can be sort of a teaser to that full chronicle. I've, I've definitely learned to listening to podcasts. Sometimes it takes a good 10 episodes to really tell all the nuance of a story. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It, you said it's, it takes a village, the journey to Leo. Yeah. Our path to Leo. Your path to Leo. There we go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And so we're, and we're hoping it's probably, Let's see, what are we at here now? Almost November. It'll probably be out, you know, kind of January, February of next year. Okay. Yeah. We'll be we'll be looking for it. We can help share that okay. with the world. Sweet. So tell me about this village. How mm. did you, who was part of your village in this path to Leo? Oh, where to yeah. begin? <laughs> so we could start kind of at the beginning a little bit because it, um, you know, starts with the idea and the idea really started very much at the beginning. I think both of us, um, we're fairly far along our professional careers and, um, by the time we met and we kind of jumped right into dating and marriage and everything else. But one of the very first topics we talked about, um, in fact, I think it was the first weekend we met was whether or not we wanted kids or not, because that was something that, you know, we'd dated and, and had longer term relationships and things. And so we'd figured out a lot of those things along the way. And we just wanted to make sure that if we're going to do this, that was compatible. So what yeah. was your position when you that first weekend you were meeting each other? How confident were you that this was something that you wanted? I think for me, um, it, it was something that I always knew was part of my journey. Like I, I from a very early age, really saw myself as a parent and it was absolutely you know, what I, what I, uh, hoped and, and knew to be true about my life. Like that, that was not a, um, that was not a question for me. And, um, and I think that just as Ty alluded to, like uh, the place we were in life, um, I was ready for that. Like I was ready, I was ready to get married. I was ready to have a family. It was very top of mind for me. Um, and, uh, and so that initiated some pretty, pretty intense conversations that most people would say you shouldn't have that early, but we had them. <laughs> oh yeah. That's interesting. It's maybe counter advice to what you'd usually receive, but that's, you say that you, you were ready. You felt, you felt like you knew that was what you wanted. How did you know? Hmm. How did you know? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. I, um, I think that, you know, when I was very young, I actually, I, I thought when people would ask me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I thought I was going to be a pediatrician because I, I really loved children. Um, and then I was a gymnast all growing up and, you know, my, my job from, you know, early high school all the way through finishing college, you know, my side job was always to, to coach gymnastics. And so I always worked with 
young people. And, um, you know, that was just, um, always something that was important to me and, and something that I wanted. Um, and then when Ty and I met, I was actually in the process of, um, becoming the sperm donor for uh, a lesbian couple that are, that are some of my best friends. Um, and so I was kind of along that, that journey, um, when Ty came into the picture. Okay. Wait, I want to come back to that uh, mm. in a moment, but Ty, what, how would you answer that same question? How, how confident were you? How did you know, um, or, or why did you feel the way that you felt at that point in time? I wouldn't say I was as confident as Brian was. I mean, I definitely thought about it and, and had pictured life at some point as having children. Um, but I hadn't thought about it, like when that would happen. And, um, and I certainly wasn't involved in a process like Brian was at the time. And so he was much further down that pathway than I was, but it was definitely something that I, that I wanted and had thought about, you know, before meeting him. Did it require any convincing or were you just along for the ride? Um, I think that the timing is always a little bit of a challenge, right? Ah. Because, um, I mean, some, some people would say it's never a good time, right? You're never going to feel totally prepared. Um, could you, you know, have a little bit more stability in your job or could you have a little bit more stability in your income or could you have a little bit, you know, could you be more ready than you are? That's always probably going to feel like the case, but um, really you just have to jump in and do it. And um, I think that's what... Um, uh, Brian was more willing or more ready to do than I was at the time. But, um, you know, as as we'll talk about, this isn't an easy process. And it's, it's a, it can happen in, you know, 12 to 18 months. But a lot of times it takes four or five years. And we were more of the latter camp. And so, um, you know, when you start planning this process, I think you look at people and you're like, okay, I'm going to have a baby in, you know, nine months. Mm-hmm. Not that easy. Right. And so right. it ended up taking a little bit more time. And so it's good we started when you did. Well, what, what you said about um, feeling like, uh, you know, I could be more stable in my career or more stable financial, or I could be more ready in another year or two years or three years, that definitely resonates. Um, that's certainly something, I, I don't have kids. I fall in that same camp of like would like kids one day, but it's always one day. And, you know, in my mind, it's always eventually I'll get there. And I wonder if I don't just take the first step, will I look back and say, wait a minute, that one day could have been four or five years ago. Um, Can I ask about your relationship with each other and where you were? So you said you started the conversation right when you first met. Uh, where were you in your relationship when you made the decision to start taking steps towards becoming parents? So I, I think we formally, you know, began taking steps, um, after we were married. And, uh, so we, uh, we met in 2013, um, uh, we were engaged in 2014 and married in 2015. Um, so we kind of moved right along in that You knew what you jumped, wanted. <laughs> right into it. That's awesome. And then, um. At that point, we moved to Denver um, in 2016, and so it was shortly after we moved to we moved to Denver um, that we, you know, met with our, our fertility doctor, um, and and that really is where the process began for us, the realistic process. You know, you do a lot of dreaming and a lot of, you know, ideating about what you think you want and what you think is possible and what you think your story is going to look like, um, 
and and then you start the process, right? And meeting with a, a fertility doctor and finding a fertility doctor that you connect with and 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 feels like the right fit for you because it is a relationship that in many cases goes on for years. And so I would encourage anybody listening who's uh, going along this process, it doesn't have to be the first fertility doctor you meet. It could be, um, but you should you should find someone that really resonates with you and connects. Now, you had this lesbian couple, friends of yours that you were supporting in their journey. Mm-hmm. Did you have anyone who was helping guide you or who who you'd seen have kids that sh- that was, I guess, giving you the confidence or the courage or the inspiration to start your journey? Well, so uh, these particular friends of mine, we'd been friends um, with, you know, one of the women for, you know, gosh, at this point, a whole long time, maybe, maybe, maybe 20 years. Um, and so, you know, this is something she and I had talked about many, many years ago. Okay. And actually the first dinner I had when she introduced me to her now wife uh, you know, her wife kind of looked at me and smirked and said, so I hear you're going to be the the donor for our baby someday, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was just something we'd talked about for a long time. Now that process, um, I, I ended up not being their donor, um, in the long run and, you know, meeting Ty and, and our process, um, weighed into that decision. Um, you know, and, and I think, to some extent, that was that was quite the disappointment to my friends. Um, but I, I do think uh, in the long run, it might have been the best decision for all of us. Um, Can I ask you more about that? Yeah, totally. Uh, was totally. that a decision that you realized you would have your own kids, and so that deterred you from wanting to donate, or how? What what was it there that changed your mind? Yeah, I, I think that I I had this realization that I wanted to be not only the biologic donor to it to a child but but i wanted to raise a child like that mm-hmm. was truly my dream mm-hmm. and you know in in being the donor there was a role for me in that child's life but i, w- I was not the the parent and i started kind of looking down the road about what that would feel like in five years and 10 years and 20 years and you know for me personally it started to feel as though it was going to hurt me and I, I was going to be, you know, wanting more um, than truly, than truly my role. And and I have a, a you know, a gay friend uh, that I know of who um, did just this, and he d- donated to his lesbian friends, and and he loves he loves that that relationship he has. Um, but for me, um, I had this kind of realization, and some of that had to do with Ty, that um, it was not gonna it was not gonna satiate the the need and the the desire that I had to have a family. Gotcha, gotcha. So you. So you decided that uh, you you wanted to be parents together. Did you consider um, other options for how you might have kids? We can definitely consider other options. I mean, we talked about other options, um, adoption. We talked about um, various types of egg donors. Um, and so we talked through, I think, a lot of the different options, but ultimately um, came down to that we wanted to find an egg donor um, who was anonymous and uh, go through the IVF process. And each of us um, donated sperm and, and created embryos and then uh, found a surrogate and we went through the surrogacy route. So, um, Yeah, and there's a, there's a million, you know, permutations of how you can do this, right? I mean, that, you know, you can have a friend or a family member, you know, donate an egg or you can buy frozen eggs 
um, from an agency, or you can, you know, match with a, a live donor um, who does a donation particularly for you. Um, and there's, you know, it, it involved about 18 months of perusing profiles, much in like a match.com format. I mean, there's there's just thousands upon thousands of profiles out there, and there's filters and mm-hmm. um, and so and depending on how much money you want to spend, you can get baby pictures, mm. or you can wow. get you know, teenage pictures, or you can have adult pictures, or you can have videos with the actual donor, or you can have, you know, actual conversations and have a non-anonymous donor. So, and so anybody considering this process, like, you know, do your research. There's, there's lots of different ways, right? And some agencies will provide you some information and pictures up to the age of five. And that's their way of protecting the donors, you know, um, the donor being anonymous. Um, and there's other agencies where you have, you know, a hundred pictures all the way through current day, family members, videos, um, you know, I mean, there's, there, there runs the full gamut. And so, um, you know, we have friends who've done it in all of those different, different permutations. It's, it's what's important to you and what makes you feel comfortable. What were the things that were important to each of you? This, first of all, just answering that question is mind blowing to me yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. because here, I'm going to deviate for a minute. My boyfriend and I are moving in together next year, and we've started talking about what are the things that we would both want to have in a house when we're looking, What Matt, what's important to us. That house is not that complicated, right? And you can move out <laughs> after a year. And I'm already like, wow, this, this can be a challenging process, is just trying to figure out what matters What matters to me, What what's really most important, and what's more important, you know, is it – location is it size is it certain amenities and so that's just for a house trying to do that for bringing a baby into this world is mind-boggling so (laughs) the same question how did you what was what was important to you and and how did you how did you figure that out how did you talk to each other about it tell me more about that what's interesting about your analogy is that um you're right there's the further down the rabbit hole you get the more questions you have and then Mm. it gets deeper and deeper and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) you wonder like where you've spun off to but um the interesting thing about a house is you can control a lot of those things right and something we learned in our journey is that no matter what you want and what you dream of and where you picture your journey going and how much you try to control it um you can't at the end of the day (laughs) and so there's going to be um, surprises and, you know, speed bumps and all sorts of different things that come along the process. And so I think uh, coming in with an open eyes to that fact is mm-hmm. is important. But um, I don't know how we started the whole um, egg donation process. I think that... I um, well, I, I <laughs> this was part of uh, Brian subtly telling me that we needed to get moving because Brian spent hours and hours looking through various agencies and, and uh, online profiles. And then he would send me emails with links to, to mm. specific profiles and created a Google Doc that he had you know, various lists and, and categorized people and, and or egg donors and things. And so that's how... That's how it started and take it super seriously to begin with because I was, you know, um, starting a new job in Denver and and super busy with with all those things. But I think that, you know, we'd have conversations, you know, once or twice a week about this person or that person. And then finally, you know, we did choose an egg donor 
Um, and, and that one didn't work. And then we chose a second one and that one didn't work for another reason. And then we ended up, I think the third egg donor was the one that we ended up uh, creating Leo with, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember there, you know, once we kind of got serious about the process, there was, you know, multiple nights, maybe many nights, um, where we, you know, opened a bottle of wine and, you know, looked at profiles until that bottle of wine was done. And often mm -hmm. we kind of just finished kind of throwing our hands in the air like, I don't know. And I, I think that going back to your question of what's important, I think if you had asked us that when we started that process and you asked us that when we finished the process, you'd probably have different answers. Because once you go down that rabbit hole of seeing all the information available to you, you know, like grandmother's eye color and profession, like, does that matter? <laughs> but do you look at it when the information's available? Right. You do. Right. And so now you have all of these variables that you didn't even, you didn't even factor in, right? Well, this one's SAT score was this, and this one didn't have their SAT score listed. So mm. what does that say? Right. right? And so like, you go down these rabbit holes of, of telling yourself a story. And one of the things we talk about in our podcast a lot is, is this idea that, you know, you go into this and, and like many things in life, you tell yourself a story of how it's going to be. And the lesson that we learned over and over again is that, you know, the story changes and it's still just as awesome, you know? And that's why it's great to, I mean, really think of it as a journey because I mean, it might be a little bit cliche, but it really is the, the path that you're taking to get there, right? And you've got to enjoy that pathway. Um, and there are certain parts of that path that are more enjoyable than others, <laughs> for <laughs> sure. But the, um, but like Brian said, you can. I mean, there's so much information, and so you know when you're you can filter by ethnicity and uh, race and eye color and anything that you want, and find. Uh, you know, whether it's a live or a frozen egg um, donation um, and find what you're looking for. But as we started looking, like Brian said, we found that the things that we thought were important weren't necessarily as important as we thought. And then and we ended up, I think, in a different place than we thought we were going to. But um, the other interesting thing was, is we found, I think I alluded to the fact that we had one or two egg donors that we had chosen that didn't work out for one reason or another. And the one that we really fell in love with was ridiculously expensive, like like leaps and bounds above the the mean. And we were like, well, do we want to do this? And, th and we had this conversation with our reproductive endocrinologist who said, you know, I think in our second or our third meeting, he's like, guys, I really think you're putting too much emphasis on this part of the process. Mm. We're like, well, what do you mean? And and I mean, this is the genetics, right? This is the most important piece that's creating your child. And he said, well, think about, you know, all of the different permutations of the genes combining between the egg and the sperm, right? Mm -hmm. And when mitosis happens and you have that recombination of the genes and this embryo is growing, there's billions of different combinations that create this child that at the end of the process, right? Mm -hmm. And think about the the environment in which this embryo is growing the hormonal milieu and the the environment of the surrogate that's actually creating this child has as much to shape that embryo and that ultimate child as the genetic information that comes into it so really you just need a set of genes and an egg but where that 
that embryos growing is as much, if not more important than the actual egg donor, which wow. kind of blew my mind at the time because yeah. I'm a scientist and, and, you know, I'm thinking genetics, genetics, like this is the most important thing. But, um, you know, that, that certainly shifted our point of view. And the piece that he said that really stuck out to me is he said, you know, guys, you need to remember that if you took this embryo from the donor and one of you, and you put that embryo back into the donor's body and as the gestational carrier, it would be a different baby than if you took that embryo and transferred that embryo into a surrogate. That baby that would come out is, is, a, different, is a different human. Like there are, there are three pieces to this instead of two. And I, and I don't know if he used these words, but he kind of alluded to the fact that we were viewing the whole process, strangely, in a very heteronormative, you know, from a very heteronormative viewpoint, like, these two people create this baby. And he was like, that's not what you're doing here. Wow. Right? Like yeah. your donor is important and your surrogate is crazy important too. And so, you know, choose wisely in, in, in all of those pieces. And, and the, the silver lining to this whole story is, you know, our, our ultimate surrogate, um, Amber, um, is just um, absolutely 100% everything we could have ever asked for and, and even didn't know, didn't know we needed to ask for. Um, and so, uh, even though we had two surrogates before that, this, so that's the village that you're talking about on your podcast. It's the, the egg donor, it's the surrogates, and I'm sure others that are part of yeah. the, maybe not the scientific process, but the process of providing support and Absolutely. community, the fertility nurses, the spouse, mm. the kids of our surrogate, mm -hmm. right? Her the husband, yeah. the financial counselors, the, Wait, so talk the, to me a minute about the surrogate. How did you find a surrogate. So um, there are um, agencies that do egg donation, okay. and there are agencies that do surrogacy, and there are agencies that do both. Okay. Um, and you know your fertility clinic is going to be an excellent resource um, for those pieces. So if you're like listening to this and you're like, where do we start? Well, you start by finding a fertility doctor. Mm -hmm. Start there, right? And your fertility doctor has relationships with various agencies. And they'll give you options. They're not going to give you just one, but they'll give you options. And then you should interview the, the various agencies. And, um, you know, we ended up getting um, our egg donation, you know, from one agency and our, our surrogacy from another agency. Um, and, you know, the surrogacy agency is very much like an old school matchmaking process. Um, you create a profile, all the surrogates create a profile, and then the, the matchmaking process begins and they present the intended parents with a profile um, and if that profile looks like something you want to pursue, um, then they will present the intended parent's profile to the surrogate. And then the surrogate has the option to say yay or nay. Um, and then they start setting up a series of, um, of blind dates, essentially. Wow. Of the most <laughs> awkward blind dates you could ever imagine. <laughs> which funny. we didn't, which we went through several of them because our initial um, uh, thought for our journey was that we were going to have someone local. Because mm -hmm. we really wanted to have a close connection with them. We wanted to be a part of, of her pregnancy. Um, and so we were only looking for surrogates that were either in Denver or kind of in the close Denver area. And so we interviewed several. And and we ended up, I think the first one we met with the agency uh, representative at and the surrogate and her husband at Red Robin in Castle Rock and just sitting there and you walk in and you sit down at a booth and you're all sitting there and 
Like, okay, so... You're meeting this person for the first time. With her husband. With her husband. And you're going to carry... Hey, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So you're ready to carry her baby? All right, wow. So you jump right in, and thankfully the agency was fantastic at, you know, kind of breaking the ice a little bit and asking questions, but there's a lot of, of questions that need to be answered to make sure you're on the same page, and some of that's taken care of in the profile, and some of it's just has to be talked about between the two of you on that first blind date um like termination what happens if you know you're carrying this embryo and there's you know something that's incompatible with life or Mm -hmm. you know some chromosomal abnormality like Mm -hmm. we need to make sure everybody's on the same page about what what that looks like right and there's all of those questions that need to be answered up front and so you know that blind date turns into a real you know, deep conversation very quickly. Right, I can imagine at the Red Robin at the Red Robin (laughs) Castle Rock. I need another milkshake. Bottomless Uh, fries. (laughs) So, and you said the agent, the agency was there to support the interaction and help ask the right questions and to support. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 to you know to really challenge to challenge you, and you know it might be awkward for the intended parents to say, "Why are you doing this?" Right. Mm. But the, you know, the, the agency representative will, will give her the opportunity to, to talk about what brought her to this, to this place and to this decision. And, um, and, you know, they'll, they'll say things to the intended parents, like, you know, if, if, uh, you're 32 weeks pregnant and there's a problem with the pregnancy and they have to make a choice between, you know, um, you know, gestational carrier and baby's life. Right. Let's talk about what that looks like. And of course, you know, the gestational carrier or surrogate says, we're going to choose my life. Right. right? And like, and, and, and that's something that I don't think would ever come up just in this awkward blind date. Right. Everybody would put on their best face and just, you know, it'll be great. Yeah. Wow. Um, can you tell me about what motivated the, you say the just, the gestational carrier, the surrogate to, to do this? Yeah, and we've had three now, and so uh-huh. I think it's been a slightly different answer with each. Okay. Um, the our, our ultimate surrogate, Amber, um, you know, she uh, is a nurse practitioner and a midwife by training, and she you know delivers babies and cares for cares for women pre and postpartum um, for a living, and she loves pregnancy, and and she um, she thinks it's just this beautiful gift to, to bring a human into this world. And she cares for women that are surrogates. So I think that she wanted that experience, um, to be a better healthcare provider even. Um, and she had had, you know, was done having children for her own family. Um, but just felt this drive to, to have a baby again. Um, and I I think as her husband would say, um, she's just obsessed with pregnancy and giving birth, (laughs) um, because that's what she does all day. You know, I mean, in our other two, um, it, it was slightly different. Yeah, I think it runs the gamut. I mean, there's a lot of different motivations. Some some surrogates or gestational carriers have financial motivations. Some of them have, you know, just love pregnancy and they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart. Um, there's a lot of gestational carriers that are friends or family that will carry for um, for parents. You know, this is obviously a, a podcast for men's vows, but there's, you know, IVF and gestational carriers for uh, heterosexual couples as well. You know, mm-hmm. if there's complications of pregnancy and um, and you can't, you know, carry another child, then, um, you know, one of my best friends growing up, 
she couldn't carry again for her home family. So her next door neighbor carried, you know, their second child. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, permutations, but, um, ultimately I think, you know, you were asking earlier about how did we decide and what's important to us. Um, we really wanted a strong connection with our surrogate. We felt like, um, it was important for us to be a part of the process of, of the pregnancy and, um, the birth process and, and then Amber and Luke and her family will be, you know, part of our lives forever. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they've become phenomenal friends. Yeah. You said earlier that you're, you initially wanted someone local. Is Amber local to the Denver area? She's not. So our first surrogate, uh, lived in Colorado Springs and she, um, ended up having, you know, we had matched with her and she had some uh, high hormone birth, birth control that took about eight months, I think, to wash out of her system. And by the time um, we were waiting for eight months and, and getting to know her and her family, and then by the time she had her first period and got her hysteroscopy, which is where they actually look inside the uterus to make sure everything's um, ready for a transfer, um, she had some scar tissue. And so she was disqualified. And so then, you know, that was the first kind of big setback where we had, you know, spent eight months getting to know her and her family and um, had developed this really fantastic relationship with them. And then, you know, it just didn't work out. Ironically, she got pregnant like six months later oh, wow. um, and had her second <laughs> child. But um, um, and then our second surrogate uh, was also from Colorado Springs and we actually transferred two embryos. Mm -hmm. And then uh, unfortunately, neither of those embryos took and so then we were in the position of looking for um, a third match and there was just nothing available in the local area and the agency presented us with a profile from um, uh, Amber and Luke and they live in Kalispell, Montana, up by Glacier. And I mean, we looked at the profile for 10 seconds and, you know, the fact that she's a, a nurse practitioner and a midwife and Oh, everything, all of the way she answered her questions just matched perfectly with what we were looking for. And so, and my favorite answer that she had on her questionnaire, um, you know, one of the very standard questions is, are you willing to work with a same sex couple? Mm -hmm. And she could have said, yes. Amber said, absolutely, comma. In fact, I'd prefer it. Oh, wow. And we were like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's and so, awesome. of course, that was like one of the first things we asked her, like, well, Right. What, what was, how, how did you come up with that answer? Yeah. 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 What, what'd she say? Do you remember? Yeah, of course. So, um, and you know, she kind of chuckled and, and she told us this lovely story about, you know, she has, um, two gay male friends and they were, um, she actually went to nurse practitioner school with one of them and, um, you know, she had offered to be their surrogate, um, because she loved and cared for them and they were great friends and they were discussing building a family and um, then they ultimately decided that they were not going to have a child. And so this kind of seed was planted within her that like, oh, that would be so cool. And I would learn so much and what a great experience. And, um, and then they decided not to. So I think that kind of always stuck with her. Um, and that, that led her to go down this, this whole process and to answer her question in that way. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. What a feeling that must have been for you guys. I mean, God bless the surrogates out there who are willing to to 
to do this, put their bodies through this for us, um, and to so proactively say, yes, I want to work with a gay or lesbian couple. And I imagine either one for her, but, um, wow, what a feeling Yeah, that must have been. Yeah, it was cool. And, you know, particularly because, you know, one of the questions we asked a lot of the surrogates along, along the way that, that we had, you know, met or interviewed, you know, was, you know, how do you feel about being a surrogate for a same-sex couple? What do you think your family will say? What will your coworkers say? Right? Because we wanted to know like what that was going to feel like or that experience would be that ultimately creates the environment that our that our babies being you know grown wow. grown in. Right. And I feel like that question and the way that Amber answered that, it took that it took that off the table. We were like, oh. Okay. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Nothing What's to your, worry about here. You didn't yeah. have to say that, and you chose to say that, right? Right, right. And so um, it told us a lot about who she who she is and where she comes from. Yeah, that's very cool. So were you able then, did she stay in Montana, and would you go up there to visit? What, how did you maintain the relationship during the pregnancy? Yeah, she stayed in Montana for um, the entire pregnancy. She was working full-time, you know, in the hospital and, and delivering babies, and her husband also works in Kalispell at the uh, community college there. Um, but she would travel down, you know, to our fertility doctor here in Denver. Um, so, you know, a lot of her, you know, the, the ultrasounds of the lining of her uterus that need to be done prior to the embryo transfer, um, she would fly down to Denver to have those done with our fertility doctor. Um, she had to fly down for a number of, you know, medical screening appointments with our doctor and, of course, fly down um, for the actual transfer itself. Um and then, and then we went to Kalispell multiple times just to visit and in order to create a relationship and meet her kids. And um, we went, did a lot of cross-country skiing oh, with cool. them. And meanwhile, Amber was like, the last she's time we went. a rock star. I mean, she yeah. was kicking all of our butts. She's 37 like, weeks pregnant. 37 weeks pregnant <laughs> wow. on cross-country skis, like yeah. leading the pack. That's a great yeah. sign. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we were like, well, all right, you got this. Um, and then, you know, prior to the birth, um, we went up there. I went and camped out and worked remotely. Um, for a couple of weeks prior to, and Ty came up a good week before as well. And how, what was that? How important was that developing the relationship with the, not only the surrogate, but also with her family? It was huge. Something I was going to say earlier was, you know, the, the surrogate is certainly a very important piece, but, you know, she also has a family, right? And every surrogate we uh, considered or interviewed or, or matched with had a family, had a husband, um, had kids. And so it's not only how the surrogate answers those questions and how they feel, but what does her husband think? Or what about when her husband goes to work and her husband's friends say, oh, your wife's pregnant. How is he going to answer that question? Oh, right. right? And how is that going to make her feel? Yeah. And, um, and so developing a relationship with Luke, um, Luke's phenomenal. Amber's husband, um, he's hilarious and uh, he loves his kids, but he's like, I'm done. <laughs> you know, two's enough. <laughs> yeah. And so, but if she wants to be pregnant, you know, that's fantastic. And so we've developed just a, a really great relationship with them. Yeah. You know, I, I like to say about Amber and Luke, you know, I feel like at this stage in life, it's, it's really hard to make old friends, you know, that like <laughs> that feeling of an old friend, you know, you know, and I feel like somehow we made old friends, Wow. you know, yeah. through this process. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine it's the, the relationship that you have, the closeness there. Um, do you think y you will, stay like stay friends for a long time will leo be a part of amber's life in the years to come certainly yeah. certainly yeah i mean i um you know we've 
kind of had the conversations and we refer to Amber as Aunt Amber and Uncle Luke. Oh, like they're, cool. you know, Leo will always, will always know them. Yeah. yeah. I have no doubt. And, and we truly enjoy them. You know, we, um, we've just become like, if we met them at a cocktail party, we would, you know, be like, Hey, we should get dinner. You know, we, we, we really like them. What a gift. Do you think that's common for couples and their surrogate? Or do you think you guys got really lucky? I think we totally hit the lottery. <laughs> I think that, you know, we, we have friends who've had, good relationships with their surrogates that yeah. they would categorize as good or very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think anybody we know would say that they made old friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It runs the gamut. One of the questions we asked, we had dinner with, I don't know, countless, you know, couples that had children, gay couples that had children, you know, to figure out how they had their process and what their journey was like and what was important to them and how they made these decisions that we were making. And, you know, one of the pieces of advice we received was, you know, the surrogacy is at the end of the day a transaction. I mean, you need something, she needs to carry the baby, you need to get the baby at the end, you know, nothing's going to feel perfect and you just have to move forward, this you know, and transfer dads. this, this mm-hmm. embryo. And that's one way of looking at it and that worked well with their journey and I don't think that they've maintained that relationship um, long term. But that never really set well with us. You know, we wanted a more personal relationship. And um, I think, I don't know if it was a regret, but one of the things we look back about our journey, you know, the second surrogate, you know, it felt more like a transaction. It didn't feel like that connection that we were looking for. Um, So when Amber came along, I agree. I felt like we hit the lottery and that was just absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you said you initially wanted someone local, but that changed, and right. it, mm-hmm. you found something, right? Um, it sounds like the first two uh, surrogates, you know, things didn't work out, but it was worth the wait because you hit the lottery with the third one. Absolutely. I'm hearing that, like, um, I keep coming back to the stupid house analogy, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> you put in an offer for a house, it doesn't work out, and then you get the you you land where you're meant to land and that right. sounds like that's what happened with 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 you guys i'm wondering you know I, i've talked to a couple dads now um on the podcast it seems like inevitably it's it's a rocky road there's always twists and turns and unexpected things and like you mentioned earlier you you, you can't control the outcome how did that impact your relationship as you were navigating the waters of surrogacy and things sometimes working out and not always working out how did that impact the two of you and your relationship i know we're both just staring at each other. <laughs> grinning at each other we certainly learned a lot about each other in the process i mean we we're well along in our relationship we'd been together for four years and been married and been through major moves and life changes and things and house purchases and everything. So do you think those things set you up for success? Like you'd already done some life together and made some hard decisions and that prepared you for this? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think that there's, there's certainly always more to learn about your um, husband or partner, but um, and it's a lifelong journey together. Right. But um going through IVF and surrogacy and having a child certainly accelerates things <laughs> in certain, yeah, I in think certain it's, perspectives. You know, people, you know, talk about buying a home together and how that's like a stressful process and you have to communicate and talk about your needs and, and that kind of stuff. Um, 
And then, you know, people talk about how house renovations are, are can be mm-hmm. relationship killers. Yeah. Right. Try like the furniture. Yeah. Over. <laughs> yeah. Well, you knock down a couple walls and your refrigerator's yeah. in the wrong room and like, you know, like things get a little haywire, right? Because yeah. so you add more intensity and more stress. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, adding uh, or when you're building a family, um, that's a whole other layer of stress and expectations and you know, um, conversation and communication, and then to layer on top of that uh, problems or, or things not going well. Um, I think that it's just, it's like ever escalating, um, abilities to communicate. Um, did you ever feel like giving up? I think we ever felt like completely giving up. We definitely needed to take breaks. And I think one of the, I think Ty needed to take a break. (laughs) I mean, you definitely needed to take a break after our second surrogate, after our transfer didn't didn't happen. You know, I think that was think probably after, our low point. After that, mm-hmm. that transfer didn't didn't work, and and there was question from our fertility clinic whether there were things the surrogate did that made this the pregnancy unsuccessful in regards to her her following the protocol, um, and so you know, and and. We transferred two embryos, one from each of our, our DNA. And um, at that time, we only had one Thai embryo. And so we lost that embryo in that process. And I think for me specifically, that was the only time that I like lost, I lost my ability to see the end game. And I was like, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. And I have put all my eggs in this basket. Like this is where my life is going. And so it was, it was really derailing for me specifically um, because that was our plan. And like that was the moment for me, the whole plan crashed. And it was like, well, we don't have any more Thai embryos. Like mm-hmm. our, our plan was to have twins. Our plan was to have one, you know, you know from each of our genetics. And um, it was pretty devastating, you know, um, at that point. Now, here we are, fast forward a, a while away. And, you know, the, the story is, is more amazing than, than we could have imagined it to be. Um, but at that moment, um, it all crashed for, yeah. me, for me specifically. I think we also learned that we processed information differently. Like I, Tell me more. Um, well, I'll see if Brian agrees with this. But, um, <laughs> you know, we definitely, uh, Brian likes to talk about things mm-hmm. and like talk about the different possibilities and permutations and what if this and what if that and kind of work down the road three steps ahead, you know, in every sort of situation. And I'm more of a more in, in the moment sort of let's take things as they come. Mm-hmm. Like it's not worth spending a lot of time thinking about, you know, problems three step down the road if we're not down that road yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, that's one of the things that we learned about each other and how to communicate through those things because ultimately you both need what you need and it comes down to how you communicate with one another it turns out that that whole communication thing it's a big one it's a big one one. (laughs) yeah (laughs) whether it's you know marriage or buying a house or you know starting a family um making sure that you're you know meeting each other's needs you know and every step of those processes is important and you did it you worked through all the challenges you have a beautiful baby boy eight month old leo um how has your life changed since i'm sure there's a bajillion ways Tell me how your life has changed since he's come. Not at in. all. It's yeah. <laughs> pretty much the same. Sleeping every Saturday. That's right. yeah, it was great. <laughs> you know, it hasn't changed as much as I think we thought it would. Oh, I that's mean, it's, interesting. It's certainly changed. Um, 
but we get to do a lot of pretty much everything that we've always done and wanted to do really and i mean there's certain changes you just you know we get to sleep in every saturday nope that doesn't happen anymore (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't happen anymore and let me tell you when you're out until late into the evening or into the morning and you have a screaming baby at 6 30 or 7 in the morning yeah, that just because you want to sleep in because you had too many glasses of wine at dinner does not mean that your baby he does wants not to agree sleep. <laughs> so um but that that also is this you know kind of crazy exercise in teamwork right and and you know we, there have been those mornings where we had too many glasses of wine at dinner and it's you know seven 15 or 7 30 in the morning and leo's like i'm ready dudes let's go you know and and so we take turns you know mm-hmm. and somebody goes mm-hmm. and gets them and somebody else like sits in bed and puts a pillow over their head and like <laughs> tries to you know and then and then we switch and then when he goes you know and then he goes back to bed and then i'll get up and um and so um that that's kind of just laying the foundation of your relationship and you know there there are heightened moments of urgency and emotion and um you know, that you still have to teamwork your way through, Yeah. you know, but, um, but I would say, I mean, I, I think that our lives are, are so much better. Like I, I feel like I, I don't feel like, oh my God, we're giving up so much to do this. You know, mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a lot of folks that are new parents that spend a lot of time doing things like that and commiserating. Um, and I don't know, I, I haven't felt that way. I've kind of felt like I don't want to, I don't want to sit and talk about, there are some hard nights. Yeah. There's some hard nights. There's yeah. some hard moments. Um, but, but by and large, it's, it's the most beautiful thing that's ever happened. Okay. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. Because I think that's a common thing you hear, right? You have kids, your life is over, right? You're yeah. never going to have a social life. You're never going to go to the gym. It's done. Your life's over. And, and then people always say, but I love my kids so much. So it makes up for it. But that's not the case for you. You've been no. able to maintain a social life. And I think one of the things that's different about our journey is that, you know, we put a lot of thought and effort into this, mm-hmm. right? And this was not a, you know, we got a bottle of wine on the way home from work on a Friday night and ended up pregnant, right? <laughs> so, like, this is something that we spent a lot of time talking about and a lot of time thinking about. And, you know, we're extremely fortunate and and have so much gratitude for the process that we've been through. Yeah. I mean, we've lived a lot of life, been to a lot of parties, we've done a lot of traveling, we've done a lot of the things that we wanted to do. And, you know, at some point, you're like, how, how much of that do I need to do, right? Like, it's like, careers are well underway, we're, you know, we still want to go out, and we still want to travel. And, you know, we still want to have weekends away and things. But, you know, we both felt like there was a kind of a larger calling or another piece or to our journey that we wanted to pursue. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a, it's a little bit of a transition, but I mean, we've certainly had big nights and, um, yeah, it's totally doable. I think is, is my, yeah. is my two cents for anybody, you know, going about this. It, it takes a little more planning now. You know, mm-hmm. we, we don't just get a call from a friend on a Friday that says, Hey, come meet us out or we're having a house party or a dinner party. Like that is a lot more, you know, we have to plan a week or two ahead, um, you know, and it's not as though you can just on your way home from work, decide to go to the gym because your gym bag's in the back seat. Like you have to have a plan. And I think the planning part for me particularly has been a little bit harder. It's been a little bit of a learning curve, um, but I am super committed to my, you know, my self-care and my fitness. And I, you know, I, I schedule every week when I schedule 
you know, childcare and I schedule work, I also schedule when I'm going to exercise every day. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's just a commitment to doing that. And I, I think you show it better for your kid when you show up your best self and you're like ready to engage with them. Oh, okay. Yeah? yeah. Just huge light bulb moment there. That's huge because I, I know growing up, I'm one of four children, and I think my parents in that generation there was such a sense of like devotion to your kids. Your world revolves around your kids. You got to drive them to soccer practice, gymnastics practice, right? School activities, and that that's the most important thing. But I think what's missing is what you just said: is how are you taking care of yourself? You can show up better for your kids if you're taking better care of yourself. Absolutely. Mind-blowing. And what yeah. a great lesson for your kids to see you mm -hmm. take care of yourself too, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like nobody wants to see their parent be so exhausted they mm -hmm. can barely keep their eyes open or feel terrible about the way they look in the mirror um, because of this devotion. You know, like I, I don't think that's setting the right e example for who we hope to be, mm -hmm. you know, for Leo um, and, you know, and future future baby and future baby oh yeah. <laughs> some more questions about that <laughs> well and what's cool too is you're not waiting on it to get easier you're not waiting on him to learn to communicate or feed himself you're doing it now mm -hmm. you just had the baby and you're like we're gonna keep we're gonna we're gonna set this now well it's kind of like i mean again a little cliche but i mean mm -hmm. you really do have to just you know move things along and live in the moment because mm -hmm. it's never gonna feel like the perfect time to get married to buy a house, to have a baby, to start exercising, to do whatever the next step is, right? You just have to say, okay, we're just going to move forward and do it. Um, something that, you know, we always talk about, one of my best friends from high school and his wife had um, two girls relatively early in there um, after they got married. And we're all the same age, but their girls are um, what, 11 and 13 now. Okay. And... They always said that, you know, they were a couple and they had lives before their kids got there. And their kids are welcome participants in their life and in their family. But that was their first. And they're not changing their entire lives because the kids are there now, right? They're welcome to join the process and join the journey. But, you know, everything doesn't, you know, revolve around them. And right. I think that's a good way of looking at it. I mean, obviously, when you look at this when you walk into Leo's room in the morning and he lifts his head up off the bed and smiles at you, I mean, it just just completely melts your mouth. I <laughs> wish our listeners could see your face. It's, <laughs> it's, you say that. Like, oh. it's like my oh. favorite thing every day. But that said, I'm still going to take care of myself and I'm still going to pursue my career and have my own social life. And Brian and I are going to have our relationship outside of you know, our, you know, Leo and, and maintain all of those other pieces because that's, I think, important and healthy. I would think down the road too, that those kids would end up more well-rounded, right? You're not growing think up so. thinking the world revolves around you right. like I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think also, you know, part of our job as parents is, is, is curating Leo's experiences and his life and the people in his life. And I think that there, there is value spending time with my mom and dad, when Ty and I go out and celebrate our anniversary and have, you know, have dinner and stay at a hotel that night, like he's getting different things from them than he would from us. And, and we're not so, um, you know, egocentric to believe that we can, you know, give this kid every single thing he possibly needs. Like my parents have something of value to add. Our au pair has something of value to add. My sister, Ty's sister, Ty's parents, like our friends, um, you know, the people that we, 
choose to engage in Leo's life all leave leave an imprint. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's ma- the village. Can, yeah, it's the yeah, village. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's so cool. I yeah. like that thinking. It, like it does. It's not all. It's not just me. I don't have to be the only parent here. I mean, yes, you're the parents, but there's so many other folks that leave that imprint. Has your has your social circle changed at all? Like, are you friends more with um, other parents or families, or is it stayed the same? I think Leo is still very young. I think that when your kids are in school, you probably meet different different people. Um, I think that you know, for us, we we haven't seen like a mass exodus of friends who are like, I can't believe you have a baby. We're out of here. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of our friends have actually been quite curious. Are you um, the first of your friends to have kids or of your other particular group? Maybe a couple other gay friends who have kids. Um, but here in Denver, um, a couple, we know mm-hmm. a, a couple of friends who have kids. Um, and some we have met, um, we, we have this kind of informal, uh, gay dads group. Oh, cool. Um, and so we've met some other folks, you know, who, who are, you know, on the journey of having children through that. Um, but we have friends in other cities, um, that have, that have children. So they're not part of our every day or every week. Um, but you know, we've kind of seen their, their experiences. Um, were you worried about a mass exodus of people saying, Hey, we're not, we don't have time for all that. We don't do kids. We don't do kids. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, or is that more of a myth? I think that there was, there was concern. I think you, I mean, gays can be, uh, fickle I guess in some ways and just like you know wall themselves off from kids or wall themselves off from various parts of whatever and um, I think there was some concern that if we weren't around as much or didn't have as much flexibility in our schedule that you know we wouldn't you know be thought of or we wouldn't participate or Mm -hmm. whatever And, and that's certainly not the case I think that you know we have phenomenal friends who you know were our friends you know, before we were married and, and before Leo and continue to be fantastic friends. And, um, you know, those relationships change a little bit. There's not as much spontaneity and there's, um, but, you know. I think it's been fun to watch um, our friends who, you know, maybe we didn't think were going to be as into Leo. Oh, interesting. And watching that, you know, totally be different. You know, we right. have one particular, you know, dear, dear friend who's, you know, family at this point who had made some comment before Leo, like, hey, I watch your dogs, but, like, you know I'm not going to watch your kid, right? Like, that's just not what I signed <laughs> up for. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not doing that. And, you know, he was one of the first people, you know, very early on, very, yeah, very like young. eight weeks or something. You know, yeah. I was I was trying to go to a Barry's boot camp class, and, and yeah. I was trying to get a neighbor to watch Leo for an hour while I went, and he was like, he's like, no, I got this, I can do this. And I was like, what? Are I, you I, sure? I would not have even have asked you because you told me that that right. was not you know, in the cards and, and to see, you know, the, the depth of the relationship that he has formed with Leo, um, has been, has been really amazing. And, and the other like thing I didn't think a lot about before we had Leo is, is what a joy it is to watch your parents create a relationship with your child. Mm. And it's just like, it's the sweetest thing, you know, it's, 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 it's so cool. Are, are your families local? So mine are. My, okay. my my whole family lives here recently now. it yeah. turns out there's nothing that brings family close uh-huh. as, as having yeah, babies. babies they all moved here <laughs> but uh, wow. yeah brian's parents moved here uh just last month and then when news got out that his parents were moving here um his sister and brother-in-law also decided to move wow. their family here so wow. now brian's entire family lives in denver cool. which is great 
um, How, online visit often. So. What's that been like having grandparents around and aunts and uncles? Yeah, so cool, so cool, and it, it's it's so fun to watch what a what a baby does to people, you know, yeah. and to watch like, you know, how, how grandma and grandpa's, you know, heart, heart melts and, yeah. and to see my sister, you know, kind of reliving having a baby in her life. Cause you know, her, her kids are, are older now they're nine and 11 and um, yeah, it's, it's super fun. And I think it's, it's very interesting to interact with your family now as a parent. Oh, you know, like I think that there's an interesting, um, you know, shift there. Tell me about that. Yeah. What's, what's different about it? Yeah. I think, um, hmm, do you find yourself like, are they like reminiscing like when you were a baby and making connections or what, what, what is it? Yeah. There's some of that. And there's some of, I mean, I think the ways, particularly the way my parents, I, I feel like, um, they have a, a, a real respect and, um, for, my autonomy as a parent with my child. They don't try to tell me what to do or critique me as though I'm their child. There's mm-hmm. almost like a peer parent feeling to it where mm-hmm. they're like, they're like, yeah, well, well, you're a parent now. Tell me, tell me how you, you know, you see this, you know, oh, and, interesting. Um, and I feel like it's been a, a fun shift. I mean, obviously I'm still their child, um, <laughs> but um, you're but, like, you're asking me to tell yeah. you what to do with this baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's great. So do you ever think about um, the challenges of parenthood, how they're different now than maybe they were for our parents when they were raising us? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the challenges of parenthood, they're never ending. I mean, it's, it is just, if you, I just try not to think about it too much because it gets to be a little bit overwhelming about all of the decisions and all of the different things you have to do but again. it's very much how we're different right yeah. so I just, <laughs> do you have an excel sheet of like yeah, all yeah. The I, these are the problems and these are the solutions i research and stew and think and plan well and maybe i shouldn't frame it around the problems i guess it's just interesting thinking about parenthood in the 2020s versus parenthood in the 1980s or whatever you know just you know how different it is now versus just the different things you have to think about like absolutely screen well, time or exactly. i don't even know what else the access to information i think is very different as well i mean i i think that you know we don't only rely on asking mom and sister and grandma mm-hmm. what to do right there's we have the internet mm-hmm. we there we have so many resources at our fingertips we have you know online trainings you can take on various you know subject matter from experts whereas you know before that was all a thing, right? Right. Um, you know, you you kind of did the mom and grandma and what they thought and what they, you know, what what they did, and um, I think that that changes things. Yeah, for mm-hmm. better or for worse, in both such situations, right? Mm-hmm. When you only have mom and grandma to talk to, you only get that one perspective, which might be a phenomenal experience perspective, mm-hmm. but might not be. And when you have every piece of information at your fingertips. Um, you know, you can, whether it's parenting or politics or, you know, vaccination politics or anything else, you know, how do you sort through all this information and figure out what's right and what's wrong and what fits your journey and what doesn't, right. um, which is, is challenging, but that's not only parenting, that's just life. Yeah. You know? You know, and also like examining, you know, things, um, you know, the way that you were raised or the way that, you know, your family looked at things. And then being very mindful and conscious, like, well, does that resonate with how I want to 
raise my family, right? Mm-hmm. Not, that's not a, like a pejorative, this was done wrong or right or, you know, but like, how do I want to do that? Like I'm being mindful of like, well, this is, this is what my background or my, my history of growing up, you know, was, and I'm going to choose to do this different yeah. and I might do this the same, but just being very conscious and mindful of, of those things and not just repeating necessarily things um, simply because you were raised that way or somebody told you it should be that way. Do you have an example of one of those? <laughs> I'll put you on the spot. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. That's a good one. Well, you mentioned earlier, um, maybe a future addition to the family. You know so much more now than you did when you started this process. How long has it been? Several years ago now? Because you've gone through several egg donors and surrogates. Five. I think five years. Five years ago, you, you started. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're thinking of maybe having another one. Yeah, we're yeah. we're very much uh, in that process. So we, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we only had one Thai embryo initially, mm-hmm. and uh, just a couple of days before Leo was born, um, just kind of on a whim, you know, we reached out to our donor agency um, because we were told prior to that that our donor had uh, retired um, from donating, and you know, we we wanted um, the children to have the same donor. And so, um, so a, a couple of days before Leah was born, just on a whim, I kind of emailed to the donor agency and said, Hey, listen, would you reach out, reach out to our donor one more time? Would you tell her our story? Um, and you know, ask her if she'd be willing to come out of retirement to donate one more time. And, uh, it turns out she did. Wow. Um, and so, uh, this past summer, um, after Leah was born, we, um, created or did the IVF process again, mm-hmm. um, and created more Thai embryos with our same donor and um, we were very fortunate to, to have five uh, embryos, healthy embryos, make it through genetic testing. Um, and um, we just got medical clearance for Amber to carry baby number two. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. And so if all goes as planned, we're looking yeah. at a mid-December transfer. Okay. Um, and uh, and oh here we go again. Gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What a blessing. Um, that's fantastic. Wow. So Leo might have a baby brother or sister this time next year. You got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If all goes as planned. Wow, that's so exciting. Tell me, what are you most looking forward to um, in the with the future of your family? So many things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think about that as an analogy to this whole process. That you know, there's we're looking forward to so many different things, but also just trying to live every day you know, in the moment, it's amazing that, you know, all the things that your parents tell you and all the things that you hear from other parents that you kind of brush off or you laugh at or sound cliche or whatever, you hear yourself saying on a daily basis, (laughs) like, (laughs) oh my God, he's growing up so fast. It's unbelievable. I mean, literally I travel for work some and I'll be gone for three or four days and I'll come home and he's totally different human yeah. i mean now he's army crawling he's not quite crawling crawling but yeah. he's like doing these slithering and you know or he can transfer things from his left hand to his right hand and just those little moments that you don't realize come and go so quickly so um you know i'm looking forward to you know just seeing that development happen on a daily basis and just taking it one day at a time mm-hmm. yeah i mean the, de- the development and the differences that you see 
it's crazy how much pride you have, <laughs> you know, and it's like this little being that came out and now he slithers along the floor and army crawls, <laughs> yes, you know, and yeah. it's like he can transfer you things from his left to his right hand. And, well, yeah, you know, yeah. he can like grab a like, spoon and he, he finds his mouth with it. Like, you know, like, like, how did you figure that one out? Buddy. And it's like. Yeah. Those He's are not even really big tasks. <laughs> he doesn't have a PhD in anything, but like you know, but those um, you know those things kind of just like fill you up on a on a day to day basis. Um, I think something I'm really looking forward to um, as well. You know, Ty and I both have great relationships with our siblings, um, and I think that's just so special to see your children interact and the development of their relationship. Um, and I think that that's, uh, that's, that's pretty cool and special. And yeah. I'm, I'm stoked to see that happen. Yeah. Is there anything that you didn't get to talk about that you'd like to share? We hear a lot of people who obviously know that we have a baby now. We have a lot of people that are like, oh, I want to I want to have a baby someday or, or I think that's for me. And, and I guess kind of my message to those people is like, it is totally doable. It is a really big process. Mm. Um, and like, go get your first visit with your fertility doctor. Mm -hmm. Like, go start that conversation. That doesn't mean you have to make a big financial investment. That doesn't mean you have to give your sperm donation. That doesn't mean you have to make any of these choices. But if you think it's for you, make that first appointment because that's where that's where you start to put very real strategy and timeline to what this looks like mm -hmm. because it's not quick. It's not as though you decide you're ready and then you make that fertility appointment. Mm -hmm. You've got a whole lot of growing to do before you even get to that point where the baby's there. Right. <laughs> so right. like, so start. Yeah. Check it out. And reach out, reach out to other families, mm -hmm. um, gay couples, lesbian couples, heterosexual couples, you know, anyone with kids and just ask them about their journey. Ask yeah. lots of questions. Why did you choose this? Why did you choose that? How did this happen? You know, because like we've said a million times, there's so many different permutations of how this process works. Yeah. And everybody has to create their own journey. And it's an active process. You are creating your journey and you have to get involved and ask questions and make it happen. Yeah. Well, I'm having you guys come on and, and share your story as part of this episode is huge. I'm so excited for your podcast to come out to give it a listen. Um, there was a couple things that you said during this episode. You talked about not putting your eggs all in one basket. You said something about planting a seed and I had to do everything in my power not to say nice pun. And that was <laughs> nice pun. I was holding my tongue because um, I didn't want to disrupt from the, the mood of the story. Um, but seriously, Ty, Brian, guys, it was great having you on. I really appreciate you um, sharing all this dad wisdom with us. So thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, thanks, thanks for, for having us. us. Thanks for hanging out with us today. You know, whether it's becoming a dad or a big move across the country or any other big thing that's coming your way, this conversation made me feel inspired, motivated, and hopeful for the future. And I hope it did the same thing for you. If you're enjoying Do You Take This Man, I would love it if you could leave me a five-star rating and a review wherever you may be listening. And you can also reach out to me directly. I love answering your questions in episodes. You can email me at podcast at mensvows.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week with a new guest. Same time, same place, you and me. It's a date. <laughs>